You are getting sleepy. Your CPAP mask is clamped tightly to your face. You will not toss and turn through the whooshing. You will not throw the mask. It's not working, Harold. People who struggle with CPAP have partners who struggle too. Luckily, now there's Inspire. No mask, no hose, just sleep. When I snap my fingers, you will remember to visit inspiresleep.com. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at inspiresleep.com. Hello, welcome to episode 65 of the Prince Kai Fan Pod, a Marissa Meyer Book Club podcast. I'm your host, Bethany, and today's special guest is the spoiler queen herself, Miss Ruth Redmond. Hey, y'all. Hi, girl. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> hey <laughs> I would like to tell you that my husband loves that you've just owned the title of spoiler queen now that like because I, I told him I said she changed her Instagram and everything he's like good good for her to own it and be like you know what if they're gonna if I'm gonna spoil everything I'm gonna be the queen of this sh-. I mean I didn't even <laughs> actually change change my Instagram I actually created a new Instagram <laughs> So I have a second Instagram that is purely dedicated to spoiling things. <laughs> I love it. Although I was slightly upset when I created it because it wasn't, um, they didn't, Spoiler Queen wasn't available. So on Twitter, I'm Spoiler Queen. But on Instagram, I am Spoiler Alert Queen. Well, whoever stole Spoiler Queen, I hope you feel, I hope you deserve it. I hope they do too, because (laughs) I've never heard of them. (laughs) Because I've never heard of them, so so they (laughs) must not be very influential. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Of the millions of people that have Instagram. (laughs) So first things first, let's talk about what you're reading. I posted today, uh, which is July 30th, and this doesn't come out until August something. So I think it says for <laughs> Fan Art Friday, it's August 14th. Okay, so this will come out wow. the, mon- the following Monday or the prior Monday. So hopefully by the time people hear this episode, I will have already buzzed through quite a few of them, but I have like I think nine books I'm going to try to get through while I'm on my break. And I have until this, I have until the 17th. So I have almost, I have two and a half weeks. I was going to say, how, how are your classes going? But I I guess that answers that. (laughs) Yeah. I just finished my last summer final this morning and then fall semester starts August 17th. So I've got, I've got like 18 days to try to read as many books as I want, as I can. (laughs) <laughs> then I want to books that are on my TBR pile. I finished Caraval and started Legendary, which is very good. I had planned on reading Caraval for a while and just hadn't gotten to it and couldn't get through it because life is hard. And then when I was doing an episode with Marissa Meyer, she and I were talking about books to read. And I told her, I said, I, these are the books I got because I listened to your podcast episodes. And I told her Caraval was on my TBR list and she told me to move it to the top. Really? That's yep. good. She's like, I don't care what else is on your list. Don't bother telling me. Just move that to the top. And I was like, okay, well, if the queen herself is going to tell me to do something. <laughs> I think that's I think that's a fair justification. I think so, too. 
Although it does kind of make <laughs> it does kind of make me sound like a mindless drone. It's like I'll just do whatever Marissa tells me. But within reason, I probably would do most of what Marissa told me. So, I mean, as long as telling you to jump off a bridge or commit suicide, I feel like that's well. You know, you know what you're supposed to say if somebody tells you to jump off a bridge, right? You first. No, how high is the bridge and how deep is the water? Well, that too. You've never heard that before? <laughs> nope. <laughs> I would just say how uh, you first. So that's why I'm reading those, because Marissa told me to. But what are you reading right now? So I actually just finished, like, an hour or two ago. Um, finally, I've been trying to get through it for months, and... I just have, like, started it and stopped it and started it and stopped it, started reading other things. But I finally got through Ghosts of the Shadow Market, uh, which is one of the anthologies from Cassandra Clare for the Shadowhunter novels. Um, And in true spoiler queen fashion, I did my best to spoil Morgan for basically every single short story because um, I... Because she's the only person that I'm, like, super close with that I forced to read. I, uh, she made me read all of the Marissa Meyer books when we first, like, became friends. And I forced her to read all the Cassandra Clare books. Yes. So she's the only one that I'm, like, super close with that, like, I can fangirl over Cassandra Clare with. So I was, like, basically just, like, sending her, like, screen recording audio clips of, like all the really funny parts and and she's like finally she's like Ruth you have to stop sending these to me because there's nothing's gonna be a surprise when I read the book and I was like I know but you're the only person I have to share these things with you have to just share them with the universe and and let it be that way (laughs) I mean true but (laughs) so Today's episode is brought to you by Rampy and Crew Patreon supporters. Thank you. Today we're going to talk about chapters six and seven, but of course, first is Fan Art Friday. Today is Fan Art Friday. It is from, okay, N-A-G-A-R-E-B-O-S-H-I Art on Instagram. Sorry, guys. Those were, Sometimes they're, they don't make a lot of sense when I try to say them out loud, but they're going to be tagged in the picture, so look them up. Uh, so this is from August 14th. It is actually chapter 18 of Cinder. And I wish I'd had this before, but I do love that I'm getting more fan art that's not just like pictures of their face. It's like actual right. scenes that happened. So this is of the scene when Kai is like, you're going to go to the ball with me, right? <laughs> I, I love I love it. And I love the art. It's it's super uh, like the drawings. Um, it's fantastic. Um and and just like the facial expressions, I feel like I'm reading an anime when I look at this. Yeah. The vibes that it gives me. I just love all of it. I love the tone that it has and the the I love the blue in the background because I, I love colorography and I, I think that that sets a good tone for it. And I love the like shy, awkward facial expressions both of them have how he's like rubbing his arm and then playing with his hair. And then she's like, she's like covering her face with her gloved hands. And then he's like turning away all shy and awkward. And, and yeah, she's I like just absolutely love it with her glove in one of them. 
Yeah. So this was really great. Thank you for letting me share it. And remember, you can submit Fan Art Friday fan art choices to princekaifanpod at gmail.com or tag me on Instagram or just find some way to share it with me. I want all of them. <laughs> I will say if you don't know the artist and you send me somebody else's art, because that has happened a few times. So, like, if you find art on the Internet and you're like, can we please share this? I don't know the artist. Give me time and I will try to find the artist. Because I, I try to get permission to share. I want, you know, I want to give credit where I can. So Patreon members voted for chapter titles for chapters four and five. Chapter four is I Won't Say I'm in Love from Disney's Hercules. Chapter five is titled Many the Miles by Sarah Bareilles. And that's it. I don't have any more housekeeping. <laughs> cool. As yeah. I burp into the microphone after hiccuping. I'm sorry. We just had... I wanted Mexican food, so you know that that means that I, like, gorged myself. I mean, you know, you got to do what you got to do, man. Like, if Mexican food is what you want, then Mexican food is what you get. I should say more, like, Americanized Mexican food is my happy place. Sure. Because I've never had, like, traditional Mexican food. Well, we went to Mexico when I was five, but I don't have a lot of memories. Yeah. So... So someday I would love to go back, you know, when we're not trapped in our houses. Lots of things, lots of things that we want (laughs) to (laughs) do. So chapter six, last week we left off with Cress meeting the Rampian crew and they were going to go rescue her. And Thorne said, all right, damsel, send over those coordinates, which... Made my heart fill with hearts and butterflies and rainbows and glitter and shiny things that make you happy. (laughs) Specifically unicorns, because unicorns really do make Bethany happy. They really do. Unicorns are real. Did you know that the national uh, animal of Scotland is the unicorn? The unicorn. I did know that. Okay. Yeah, I heard that as a fact, and I was like, no way, that's not real. And I was like, yes, it is. Has been for, like, 700 years. Yep. Like, since, like, 1350. Fun fact. So this week we are in Kai's perspective. The last time we saw him, he'd been proposing to Lavana. So it's been a while. And they're talking about wedding plans. And, of course, the Predator wants an eight-course feast for her dinner. Of course. Who doesn't want an eight-course feast for their dinner? Sounds like way too much food to me, to be honest with you. I mean, yes. That's the whole point of the sarcasm. (laughs) But, like, leftovers are great. So I guess that's cool. But they're, they're, we're, we're talking about the emperor and the predator, so leftovers aren't a thing. They wouldn't, they wouldn't do leftovers. Well, Kai would give them to somebody. Oh, yes, Kai would. But if yeah. we're just talking about an in general prince, princess, that's not going to happen. Leftovers. Yeah, their fridges are not filled with Tupperware and recycled butter containers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
so I like the conversation about imitation shark fin soup. I just like the conversation about like how impractical it is to have shark fin soup. I love the inclusion of like, hey, it's not cool to chop up sharks. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Yeah, let's let's not reduce the population of sharks even more than uh, is already happening. Thanks. Right. <laughs> Kai is like laid on the couch. With his arm across his eyes, just like, yep, okay, sure, yep, okay. We meet Tajmi Priya. She's the uh, wedding coordinator, wedding planner for the bride-to-be and the emperor. Uh, I actually really like her. She's like the female Torin. I really do. I love her. <laughs> and, and also, like, the whole... Um, just like her description and and sometimes I forget that you know that the Eastern Commonwealth is so huge and does also include India but mm-hmm. I just love I just love her description um of like her her dress and I also I mean I know we're all slightly biased and love Rebecca Solaire, but like I love Rebecca Solaire's um, voice for Tashmi Priya, and I don't know. I just I kind of as one of the minor minor side characters, she's she's pretty awesome. She's great. I really do like her, and like I said, I feel like she's the female Torin, and we know I love Torin. She's the only one dealing with the bride. So you know she's a tough she's a tough girl to be able to yeah. like Lavana's got to be the definition of bridezilla, right? I mean, also a bridezilla that can brainwash you into doing it whatever she wants. So well, luckily, luckily she's on the moon, so she can't do anything right now. So Kai says, "Who cares? Just give her whatever she wants. I really don't have a preference." It looks like the African prime minister is going to officiate the wedding, which is great. And she says, have you thought any more about uh, your vows? And Kai says, delete anything it has to do with love, respect, or joy. And I'll sign on the dotted line. Oh, hi. Now, I know you're not. I know you're not married, but I'm married. And we did actually take out several things in our traditional wedding vows. We took out um, honor and obey. We think that we like to think that we're two independent people, not that we have to obey one another, but that we can make choices and uh, respect each other as partners. Yeah, we took out a couple of those things. And then we also took out the part where if anybody thinks that these two should not be married, uh, it's not anybody else's decision if these two should be married. So nobody gets to interrupt my wedding to say so. (laughs) Although I'm sure... I'm sure that plenty of people would be more than happy to jump in at Kai and Lavana's wedding and speak now and not hold their peace. I mean, I'm sure Kai would like to. (laughs) (laughs) That includes the bridegroom. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) She offers to write something for him, which I think is great. Apparently, Lovana wants him to write his own vows, and he's like, well, that's just great. But she says, I could write them for you. 
<laughs> so I was like, right. if I were if I were Kai, I would be jumping on that like a life raft. I'd be like, yes, please write them, write them right now. <laughs> I just love that um, that like the Kai says, you know, the delete anything that has to do with love, respect, or joy, and I'll sign on the dotted line. And then Torin's immediate response is like, Your Majesty. Ugh. <laughs> he's like warning him. He's like, come on now. We talked about this. <laughs> it's the same as like when she gave, cause, cause Torin is always like chastising him. Right. So it reminds me of the chapter when she gave him the antidote and he was like, are you serious? You've had this the whole time. You want people to pay money for this. What is wrong with you? And then Torin is like, say thank you to the nice lady, Kai. Like, he's <laughs> just, I just find it so amusing that Torin is like always the voice of reason. He's like, I get it. I'm not, you know, we're all upset here. You don't have that luxury because you're royalty. It makes me also think of Princess Diaries, the movies, if anybody's seen them, when Mia is like, I lost it. Sometimes you just lose it. And (laughs) (laughs) her grandma is like, well, you can't just lose it. Royalty can't lose it. Other people lose it. We have to find it. Like, <laughs> yes. Uh, and I mean, just just Julie Andrews seeing uh, the queen. Lines. Yeah. I, mean. <laughs> uh, I love it. Maybe I should put a sound bit in of that. <laughs> Do you think I plan for this kind of stuff to happen? I lost it. Sometimes you just lose it. You can't afford to lose it. Other people lose it. We're supposed to find it. But I mean, like, just, just, Kai is just so, like, I mean, I know he's sassy Kai and everything like that, but just it, rereading all of this, where, like, it reminds you, like, all these little, like, pieces where he's just like, oh, just delete that and, you know, whatever. Right. And you he does a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Because you just, you, you, you forget about those little pieces where he's just like, super sassy you mean we, you remember the big ones but we love us some sassy kai though don't we oh. <laughs> Heck yes. so Torin apparently doesn't drink very often but is drinking for this of course he is i would be drinking too Torin. for those of you who want to buy me drinks i like kettle and soda <laughs> with, with lime preferably <laughs> i martini girl so (laughs) I love that we find out there was a sweep in the office and they found a single recording device smaller than his fingernail embedded in one of those chandeliers boom baby Levana was spying on him Kai was right cue the I told you so dance boom (laughs) (laughs) I told you so dance in in, uh, Torin's face yeah and, and by I told you so dance, I mean the one from Scrubs. I want Elliot Reed doing the robot and the splits and going, I told you so. <laughs> well, and and so just to, like, go back on one thing is that, like, so when Torin, when Kai mentions that, like, Torin is drinking, just like. It's the like just that imagery that like, OK, somebody that you've known for basically your whole life, probably, um, is so tense and stressed that it's forcing him to drink just reminds 
like reminds me of the feeling when you see someone that you know very well, like doing something completely out of character. Um, like, you know, just like the, the only example that like, I really have is like, uh, like my dad is like a super strong, like doesn't show his emotions, but then like showing up at my mom's funeral and just like bawling his eyes out and like, um, I'm sorry, you don't do that. I mean, <laughs> you it do, but you, like, it shows you the strain certain situations can take on people. And it shows you the strain, the toll this has taken on Torin as a person that like, even he has to find a way to get through. Like he's putting on his, I'm Torin and I'm emotionless and I can handle anything you throw at me face, but he's drinking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Kai, it's taken a toll on Kai also because he's been losing weight. Right. Yeah. Poor kid. Well, and I mean, that's that's stressful, too, because, I mean, think about how stressed and um, like undernourished and also like how sleep deprived he has to be to have lost more more than something that's, you know, it's not. It's not super noticeable if, you know, you're not eating, but, like, he can tell that, like, he's lost a few pounds. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. (laughs) Anybody who's ever dieted knows that you don't really notice if you lose, like, one, two, or even sometimes five pounds. But when your pants are, like, bigger than normal or your T-shirts hang a little loose, you notice it. Yeah. Or the opposite. In in my case, I often find that my pants have shrunk. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say, lately, it's been more the opposite for me. Every time I put something on, it's a little too tight. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm blaming quarantine. (laughs) I think think we are all blaming quarantine. I don't think you're a person if you're not blaming quarantine. (laughs) So Priya heads out, and we find out... Thaumaturge Park is arriving tomorrow. Now, I have to tell everybody because I told my sister this the other day and it blew her mind. I have a very clear image in my head when I think of Thaumaturge Amory Park. So anyone who's ever seen this movie called The Mummy Returns, it's a great movie. I often think of the black guy, not the one that's like, I got shot in the ass every five seconds, but the like really tough, cool guy who um, wears like the the red and gold outfit and has like a ridiculously low timber deep voice. I always picture him and I definitely hear his voice in my head whenever I read anything for Park. Like I just assume his voice is as deep as it gets. I'm trying to think of like who I picture because I just like the thought that comes into my mind is like, um, like a, um, why can't I think of his name? I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say right now anymore. Um, but, <laughs> but okay, I could like, cut it all out. <laughs> well, no, it's fine. Leave it. Um, the 
the person that I think of has like these characteristics of like, like a Disney. I mean, I mean, he is a Disney villain, but like has like this. Um, have you ever seen the movie Mirror Mirror? Yes. Many years ago. Okay. But yes. Okay. So he kind of reminds me of uh, like Julia Roberts character, but if she was a guy and she was also um, dark skinned or um, of some darker ethnicity, because I don't like to whitewash characters. No, we don't. We don't want to whitewash Amory. Um, um, yeah, no. And Amory um, is described as um, having like really black skin. Black as the night at one point is what they say. So he's got very dark skin. Yeah. Um, so. So, anyways, Amory Park is coming tomorrow, which Kai is very excited about. He can't wait to see him. Uh, <laughs> I love when Torin like clears his throat, and Kai is like. I mean, fantastic. Oh, he was such a joy to have around the first time. <laughs> oh. I just, I love Kai and Torin and their camaraderie and all of it. Their back and forth is great. Yep. Kai is straining. He's really starting to struggle with having to marry her having to let her be a part of the commonwealth and he has to constantly remind himself that this is beneficial and that this there's a reason he's doing this and how much he has to you know sort of sacrifice to make up for what will be gained from it but he wasn't fooling anyone he hated Lavana. He hated himself for giving in to her. He hated that his father had managed to keep her and her threats of war at bay for years and years. And within weeks of Kai taking the throne, he'd let it, he'd let everything fall apart. And I have to say that, dude, I totally agree. Let's all hate Lavana, right? I mean, uh, thank you to Taylor. There's now a TikTok about me shading Lavana. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently one of my favorite pastimes. But I think the main component is the antidote. Yeah. Kai's father was able to keep her at bay because she really didn't have a lot of playing cards. Now, other than, you know, if you don't give me an alliance, I'll go to war. She didn't have a lot to hold over them. Now she has the antidote. That's pretty big. Right. Well, and, and I also like, like just re just you reading that is, such a um like you feel the disappointment that Kai is feeling because he because he's so like disappointed that he can't that he had to make that decision yeah and um because of what we talked about the last episode that I was on um that like he has no other choice so like he knows that, like, he has no other choice, but it still doesn't mean that he's not disappointed in the choice that he made. Yeah, being backed into a corner doesn't feel good no matter why you're backed into it, or no matter what your gain is, I should say. And that's what he says to Torin. He says, am I making a mistake? And this is a really vulnerable moment for Kai, so I'm glad he has Torin, because I, I think that Torin is the perfect person 
to answer that question. And I think his response is perfect. So on page 54, Torin says, 16,000 Earthens were killed when Luna attacked us. 16,000 deaths in only a few hours. That was 11 days ago. I cannot fathom how many lives were spared because of the compromise you made with Queen Levana. And we cannot forget how many lives will be saved once we have access to her Letimosis antidote. So he is doing the right thing. Right. And we do get a little clip here that it's been 11 days since the Earthen attack. So a couple of days have passed between last chapter and now. Torin says, I know the sacrifice you're making, your majesty. Here's the thing. He does understand the sacrifice. I mean, we as the reader understand the sacrifice. But at the end of the day, she's not the one he's going to murder. Right. I mean, she might. Torin is a, is a big player. Killing him would certainly benefit her, but not as much as killing Kai. Right. Well, and, and I mean, it's also just like knowing that like he, he like Kai knows that he made the choice that he did for the reasons that he did. And he knows that he wouldn't change that decision, but I don't think that it still sits well with him knowing that he had to make the decision, like that he had to make a choice between killing people and being killed himself. I mean, is really the trade off there. I think also it's important to keep in mind that she is that the other thing he's sacrificing is she will be Empress of the Eastern Commonwealth. And we don't know, we don't know what the repercussions of that could be, but we can guess and they're probably not good. Right. So he's definitely falling on the sword, but there are other sacrifices at stake. Kai says that I suspect she's going to try to kill me when she has what she wants. And Torin says, we won't let that happen. Your wedding will not be a death sentence. She still wants an heir, right? <laughs> no. Blech. That's horrible. Blech. 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 Torin says that he won't let anything happen to Kai. He promises they won't let that happen. And I'm wondering... You're dealing with a society that can control other people, that can make them do things and can make them see things and can make themselves look like different people, people you trust, even if they're not that person. So what power does Torin possess that he thinks he can even remotely help Kai? Right, right. Yeah, and, and I just like that, that you know, Torin is really just saying, like, he's not only saying it just to, like, make Kai feel better, but, like, you can tell that, like, the sentiment behind those words is definitely, like, felt, even though, like, like you said, he probably can't protect Kai from that. But the thought that, you know, he would do everything that he could to protect Kai just, like, kind of just reiterates that, like, fatherly almost fatherly figure no I think he's definitely a fatherly figure and I I don't mean to sort of cloud how honorable it is that I because I, I do think that Torin is honorable I think Torin would do anything in his power to protect Kai I'm just not sure he has a lot of power right yeah no totally agree yeah 
But Torin does bring up a good point. She still wants an heir, so that's that's what Kai says is a very, very small consolation. <laughs> yeah, that that like one very disturbing thought of like ickiness and just so disturbing. Like, yeah, I mean it's disturbing, it's non consensual sex, it's like it's disgusting. It's not, it's not okay. Like, literally, my note says, bleh. Yeah, bleh, indeed. And Kai <laughs> says that uh, the Lunars don't necessarily care who fathers the child, as long as the child has some royal blood, which they'll have from Lavana. No one even knew who Celine's father was, cause which makes it sound like her mom was a bit promiscuous, but no judgment here. Get what you can, girl. Torin says that the Eastern Commonwealth needs Kai and he won't let anything happen to him. And this is where Torin is like a very good fatherly figure to him. Um, and Kai then says, Kai recognized it as an almost fatherly tone. There was affection there where normally there was only patience and veiled frustration. In some ways, he felt like Torin had become the true emperor once his father had passed away. Torin was the solid one the decisive one, the one who always knew what was best for the country. But looking at his advisor now, that impression began to shift because Torn had a look that Kai had never seen directed toward himself before. Respect, maybe, or admiration, or even trust. Yeah, I really love that he just, like, just, his, his like, he's always had this positive perspective of Torin and this respect for Torin, but like you can see in this moment that it's shifting and it's changing to like now yes Torin is still his advisor yes Torin is still lower than Kai but like the way that Torin has taken Kai like almost under his wing and like given him all this advice and guided him since his father has died it makes him almost this like really father figure and that like realization to Kai is just like, Oh crap. Like, I think also part of it is it, I think part of it gives Kai a new determination because he says he sat up a little straighter. You know, this is, this is mutual respect where there's always been respect from Kai to Torin now Torin has lent that respect to Kai as well, and now it's mutual respect. Right. And Kai says if Torin believes that there's a way, then he's going to believe it himself. Lavana is a tyrant, and he's he's not happy about it. He's not happy about leaving his his country in the hands of a tyrant, but he's going to defy Lavana as long as he can. And I, I want to point out that as admirable as it is that Torin is learning to give this respect to Kai and promises to do everything in his power to protect Kai and, you know, says things like, I know the sacrifice you're making. He actually doesn't. At the end of the day, the only person who can take the responsibility is Kai. Torin could quit his job right now, move to another country, and never deal with it again. He could go off the grid if he wanted. 
Kai doesn't have that luxury. Kai has millions of people. Literally the entire planet is relying on him to get that antidote. That pressure doesn't belong on Torin's shoulders. Now, Torin has definitely done his job as an advisor and continues to do so, and he does everything in his power. And I fully, I fully support that. I think that Torin is a wonderful advisor, and I think he's, I think he's sort of like the rock that that Kai has. But I do think it's important to acknowledge that while Torin may say things like he understands the sacrifice, he's not actually the one making the sacrifice, and that's where the difference is. Torin may take on the role of advisor. He may even take on decisions and influences on Kai that make him, you know, like Kai says, somewhat of the actual um, emperor because he he makes those decisions and he always knows what's best. But at the end of the day, he is not the one who has to marry Lavana. Right. And possibly produce an heir. Oh. Yeah. And I really do like that this, like that the very end of page 55 and the first sentence on 56 where he's talking about um, a way to stay alive, a way to protect his country, even after he cursed them all with a tyrant for an empress, a way to protect himself from a woman who could control his thoughts with a bat of her lashes, even as her husband, he would continue to defy Lavana for as long as he could. Yeah. Like, I just love, I just love that, like, all right, he's not going to let this get him down. He's still going to do everything in his power to not let Lavana control him. He's going to hold out as long as he can. Yeah. Yeah. Nancy comes in. She brings tea and hot washcloths and the daily reports. So let's talk about the daily reports. Lunar Thaumaturge Amory Park is scheduled to arrive tomorrow at 1500. Woohoo! Along with 14 members of the Lunar Court. Super exciting. A list of guest names and titles has been transferred to your report screen. A welcome dinner will commence at 1900 to be followed by evening cocktails. Tajmi Priya will be in attendance at both the dinner and cocktail reception to begin communicating wedding plans to Thaumaturge Park. We've extended an invitation for Her Lunar Majesty to join us via net screen conferencing, but our offer was not accepted. How disappointing. Mm-hmm. He's super sad. They are also expecting protests. Which makes sense. They had protests the first time Lavana came to Earth. No moon queen. Yeah. And she says that the military are going to be on standby. And he's like, well, are you expecting them to be violent? Negative, Your Majesty. The head of palace security has stated this is only a precaution. Just a precaution. No big deal. Yeah. Either way, and still kind of scary. Still scary, yeah. And... Just in case Kai needed an extra swift kick in the ass, there have been 30,000 plague-related deaths in the last week. I mean, that's, like, on its own, like, the first time I read this book, like, that was kind of, like, crazy, like, oh my gosh, this is, that's a lot of people, but it's even more, 
like surreal because of the pandemic, the, the current COVID pandemic that we are going through. And mm-hmm. that is like the equivalent of what, I mean, that's the equivalent of how many cases that we're getting almost daily. Yeah. And granted, really- it's not death. So that's fantastic that it's not deaths. We haven't reached that number of deaths in a week. But still. But this is the first time something like this is happening since this book came out that we can actually draw comparisons to. Yeah, exactly. Um, scary. And they've made no progress with trying to replicate the antidote that they had. So Kai says he almost wishes the wedding was tomorrow so he could save more people. Yeah. So not not quite, actually. <laughs> he wishes it was so, tomorrow, but also he doesn't wish it was tomorrow. Right. So America, Australia, and Europe are still looking for the lunar soldiers and taking them as um, prisoners of war. There's no more political complications. <laughs> like your crush party crashing your wedding, you mean? Because Cinder actually is planning a political complication. She's planning to crash the wedding. And what did she say to Chris? The ultimate goal is to dethrone her. That sounds like it'll be a pretty big political complication, your majesty. Yeah, like, hmm. (laughs) The Canadian prime minister is like, nope, I'm not going. She's not a suitable leader. I mean, I'm, I'm all for it. Like, good for you, Canada. Stand your ground. But nobody thinks she's a suitable leader, right? Right. I mean, she's the predator for a reason. I love Kai's response. Oh, for all the stars. Does he think anyone feels like she would be a suitable leader? <laughs> uh, and I mean, then, of course, I just love I just love Torin's groan. Like, it's literally two words. Torin groaned. But like, I can just <laughs> feel that like physical response. Just like, oh, gosh, dang it. When he just keeps his mouth <laughs> shut, it's a political nightmare from million or from my, hundreds of miles away, thousands, thousands of miles away in Canada. And come on, man. <laughs> and Torin even says we can't we can't blame him for this position or for wanting to make a statement because he has his own people to be concerned with, which he does. Yeah. So Torin says it could start a trend because everybody will be. Other people might want to jump on the bandwagon. Um, So he said he'll take care of it. He's going to talk to him and try to get him to, you know, reconsider. Okay. So Torin Torin goes bye-bye. He takes his leave. And Nancy wants to talk about something in private. Lynn Cinder. And Kai has a pretty, pretty big reaction in his inner monologue. His stomach dropped. It would be that topic. That one topic that he couldn't talk to even his most trusted advisor about. Every time he heard her name, he was filled with barely constrained panic, certain that Cinder had been found. She had been taken into custody. She had already been killed. Even though he should be, even though he should have been glad that his country's most wanted fugitive had been captured, the thought made him ill. Who poor Kai. Yeah, I just, I, all I wrote was just panic for her well-being. Like, he wants her to stay missing for her safety. Yeah. Yeah. But she is still alive. And 
Nancy thinks she might have figured out why she was in Ryu, France. Right. Because it had never struck him as suspicious. But as it turns out, that small little town was the home of Nichelle Benoit. And Cinder went to her farm. And Kai thinks that she went there looking for Princess Celine. I mean, kind of. <laughs> He's not, he's not wrong necessarily. Correct. <laughs> and then Nancy lets him know Michelle and her granddaughter are missing. And Michelle's ID chip was left behind. Scarlet's was completely destroyed. And Kai says that maybe Cinder is helping him. Maybe she's trying to help him. Because the princess could be the end of Lavana. He says it could be the end of Lavana's rule. I wouldn't have to marry her. Yeah. And then Nancy says, I might suggest the alternate explanation that Lynn Cinder's motives stem from Queen Lavana's desire to have her found and executed, Your Majesty. Right. Or that. Poor Kai. <laughs> but, but let's pretend even we know that that's not entirely why she's doing it. It's not entirely self-preservation. So it's okay if Kai gets to think that she risked her life and nearly got killed. And we don't, Nancy doesn't know if she actually found anything. She has no way of discerning that information. But Kai is is clinging to this one thing, hope. Yeah. On 61, where he says, hope fluttered again, bright, brightening with every moment. You can almost like see like butterflies, like coming to light and like brightening like your like hopes and your thoughts like even though all this other bad sad crap is going on yeah and that's why hope was the only thing left at the bottom of pandora's box right hope can be very dangerous so kai is kind of he's kind of uh got a second wind from this hope he had abandoned his own search weeks ago because he'd been preparing for his life as Lavana's husband but if cinder can find celine then she could end Lavana's reign and she could yeah. save them all no press though yeah <laughs> <laughs> right so that was chapter six what were your song titles so my song titles were um, the Only the Young by Taylor Swift and Good Enough by Georgia Green. Um, well, so, um, I mean, obviously Taylor is Taylor. So <laughs> <laughs> Taylor is Taylor is Taylor. So um, but I really love the message of that song being like only the young can like you know insignificance to you know not only his age but like he is a young ruler and that um like he's he's the only one that can do something about the situation as it is yeah um and then the georgia green song so the chorus of this song so the song, the song is basically about how, like, 
in a relationship, like how did, like, why did we give up when like we were good enough kind of a thing? Um, but the chorus that I really like is that it says, um, like, because we did what we could, uh, but even when we had it good, it wasn't good enough. Um, because like even this information, like knowing this little bit of information that Nancy has just um, provided to him, it's still like not good enough because it's not going to um, it's not enough to get him out of the situation that he's in. He just has to hope that eventually it will materialize into something that is good enough. Um, and so just to be able to like know that and recognize it. So I picked, uh, <laughs> I picked we can change the world by Bridget Mendler because I think that that's what Kai is trying to do. He's trying to, well, it is going to change the world no matter what, but I think that he's trying to change it for the better. And that's why he's making the sacrifices that he's making. And then the other song I picked is called Energy by Carrie Hilson. Um, I've never heard of that song, so. It's a great song. And the lyrics are, I'm having nightmares from sleeping with the enemy. I don't want us to be the end of me. How do I rework the chemistry? This love is taking all of my energy. Oh, so perfect for how he feels about his relationship with Lavana and how he thinks it will be his death. Um, and how he's so exhausted he can't even eat. I mean, that's definitely taking up all of his energy. That is true. <laughs> it's still, I still think the lyrics uh, ring true for his relationship with Lavana. Yeah, that's, that's how that you point out those those lyrics. I, I, uh, I can see, I can see why you picked those songs. Yeah, and so Patreon members will actually get to decide. What was your quote for this chapter? So I know we already talked about this slightly, but I'm so proud of myself that I did short quotes. <laughs> gold, gold star for Ruth. Yay. <laughs> it's literally a sentence. <laughs> um, and well, I mean, it's, it's only from Kai's perspective really, but it's a, uh, uh, is that tomorrow already? I mean, fantastic. He was such a joy to have around the first time. <laughs> and that Which, is found on page 56, <laughs> where Kai is talking about Amory. I love it. So mine was, one more hour had come and gone, and Cinder was still missing, which meant she was still safe. And that's on page 59. I just love that... Kai is still thinking about Cinder and her safety and that despite everything and despite not really knowing anything about her or whose side she's actually on, he is so happy that she's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. He's just, he's like, no matter what, he just continues to think about her. He does. Hi, this is Leah Stuhler, creator and host of YA Book Chat Podcast. If you love reading young adult books and chatting about them with your friends, then head on over to my podcast and take a listen. Each episode, my guests and I chat about a different YA book. We start spoiler-free 
and then head into our spoiler section where we dive into the mysteries of each book. And we do it with laughs and fun along the way. You can listen to YA Book Chat on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your podcast. And now, back to the show. So chapter seven, we're in Dr. Erlon's perspective. We have not seen him at all since the end of book one. Yeah. It's been a while. Definitely been a hot minute. Yeah. The last time we saw him, he was bringing Cinder a foot and a hand and was like, I'm going to Africa in three minutes. <laughs> glamoring, glamoring the guards to help her escape from... Uh, from prison. Yes. So he's at a hotel and he's watching the net because the net is talking about um, lunars visiting Earth. There's a whole bunch of lunars coming to Earth. Amory Park, her lackey uh, advisor, as Dr. Erlon <laughs> says, which I love. And they're coming to Earth for the royal wedding because she's going to be empress. So it's a show of goodwill and to make sure that the wedding is to her liking. And he says that the spaceship landed 15 minutes ago and it still hasn't opened. Um, Here's my thing. <laughs> is that really all that weird? Like, I've been on planes before and it can take like 45 minutes after you land to actually get off the plane. So I'm not sure it's all that crazy that the spaceship has been sitting there for a few minutes and nobody's popped out yet. Well, but I think I think the big thing is that like it's landing on a landing stri- like on a on a landing pad like on the palace and like there's probably like it's not like he had to taxi to the the spaceship had to like taxi to the gate or anything like that. That's a good point. Uh, <laughs> even in my car sometimes it takes me a hot minute to get out what if I like I, I have stuff I have to gather or if I'm yeah. listening to a chapter <laughs> do that or or trying to finish a song so that you can be like okay and now I have finished my journey <laughs> exactly so Dr. Erland also points out that the when Sybil arrived the first time uh, when she like precluded the queen uh, that it wasn't broadcast, being broadcast. Yeah, but now it's a shine of good faith because she's going to be empress. It's not low-key anymore. That's true. Yeah. Uh, diamonds, aisles, guests, ceremonies, officiant. Which um, Dr. Elon refers to as a lot of balayu, which I had to look up because I was like, is that an actual word? I mean, I don't think Marissa would have used it if it wasn't an actual word, but also... Well, like, some words aren't words, but we all use them. Like, ain't isn't a word that people have actual, like, different meanings, but we all know that they mean this or that. Yeah. yeah, so I thought maybe it was just one of those. But anyways, he's really glad because it gets the media attention off of Cinder. Yeah. She, he's impatient because she hasn't, Cinder hasn't, like, come to him yet. And he's like, okay, WTF, Cinder, what's going on? But, like, he also can't, like, reach out to her. And she was supposed to get to Africa a while ago. He said, meet me in Africa. And he's frustrated because he's waiting around in the forsaken desert. 
Yeah, but he's he's just waiting so that all of his work can come to fruition. Because right now he's just working on his research. He continue with his research and plan for the day when all his hard work would finally come to fruition. So he's still doing research. Is he still like researching the plague? I think we're going to find out what he is talking about shortly, but I am not going to spoil it. (laughs) This is where he says that it seems that Earthens were quick to forget their prejudices when a royal wedding was involved. Or perhaps they were simply too terrified to speak openly about the Lunars and their tyranny, especially with the memory of the wolf hybrid attacks so fresh in their collective memory. I would just like to say, have you ever, have you ever been like carrying on conversation or like bored with something and like had your glasses on and you're just like mindlessly like start like cleaning your glasses because you're like, ugh, like. I just felt those vibes so hard from him just being like growing bored of the pot or of the broadcast. He just removed his spectacles and started cleaning them. (laughs) (laughs) You bore me. (laughs) Cannot keep my attention. This is so trivial. (laughs) So here's where we find out two reporters who had been brave enough to to speak up against Lavana. They committed suicide, which means murdered by lunars but who can prove it right that's a terrifying sentence this is what i was talking about last chapter like who could prove it how could you prove the lunars do anything right exactly just like you can't i mean even even if somebody committed suicide can you really uh be sure that it was actual suicide right Lovana is a murderer and a tyrant and would ruin them all. But all his anger was eschewed by the knowledge that he was a hypocrite. Oh, why is he a hypocrite? Let's find out. So he says he's a hypocrite because he helped her become a murderer. This is a pretty big egg hatch here. He actually helped. He actually helped with the genetic research. He was a leading scientist for the genetic research team on Luna, back when Channery was still queen, before Lavana took over, before his crescent moon was murdered, before Princess Selene was stolen away to Earth. I love that phrase, stolen away. Yeah. I just love those two words together. It, it, it kind of like blurs the stolen and like she couldn't run away on her own she was only free but also like it's it's just kind of like that great mesh a good mesh of those two meanings it is so he was on the genetic engineering research team and what he did what he's responsible for is he was the first to to successfully integrate the genetics from an Arctic wolf with those of a 10-year-old boy, giving him not only many of the physical abilities that they'd already perfected, but the brutal instincts of the beast as well. So they'd already perfected a lot of their physical abilities, but this also gave them instincts, the natural animal instincts of a wolf. Just, like, this huge, like, mind just blown of, like, 
okay, we already knew that based on the little bit of interaction that we had with him in Cinder, that he already considers himself a murderer because of the cyborg draft. But like to know that he basically is the one that successfully created the first wolf hybrid, like makes him feel even more guilty for all the things that now these wolf hybrids have done. I definitely blame him for the cyborg draft. I mean, the whole thing was his idea. Right. This one, I definitely think he, he takes some of the blame, but maybe not all of it because I don't think that, I think if it hadn't been him, it would have been someone else. Right. And I think, I think especially with the, like he didn't know what they were going to use that technology for. I mean, you can assume it's not a great, um, probably not for a great use when your queen demands that you merge the genetic material of a wolf and a 10 year old boy. But what harm can it do? I mean, at that point, all those years well, ago. I'm not necessarily saying that. I definitely think he's part of that. You know, like I, I definitely think that he has a large portion of blame because he contributed to a lot of it by being one of the leading scientists there. I was just saying it doesn't necessarily all need to fall on his shoulders because there were other, other people and other moving parts involved. Right. I mean, and, and, and like you said, I mean, if it wasn't him, it would have been somebody else. But yeah, if if he hadn't gone along with it, whether he was went along with it and was complicit or whether he, you know, was forced to go along with it. If he hadn't gone along with it, he probably would not be alive. They probably would have, you know, gone gotten rid of him. Uh, right. And though and and the reason I say this is because. I think that that's why not all the blame goes on him. Whereas with the cyborg draft, it was his idea to have it be a cyborg draft. And he intentionally chose cyborgs because he knew that Princess Celine was a cyborg and he thought that would be his way of finding her. So that I 100% put on him. Now, I suppose I suppose you can make the argument, well, just because he suggested it doesn't mean everybody else had to go along with it. But I don't necessarily think that someone else would have suggested it. I don't think somebody else would have suggested it. And I also think that while he feels bad that he is guilty of killing lives and um, for the cyborg draft, I think that he believes that it was a means to an end. Yeah. Uh, For the greater good. Yeah, it was for the greater good um, because it was the ultimate goal was to find princess Celine and looky there. That's exactly what happened. He was able to find princess Celine. Also, not just that he would find princess Celine, but that finding princess Celine would save more lives than, than the cyborg draft had killed. Right. Or at least that's his hope. I should say. Yeah. So he still shivers thinking about the howls of the boy in the darkness And he looks back at the broadcast and finally the spaceship door lifted. The world watched as the ramp hit the platform 
and a gaggle. I love the word gaggle here because it's often (laughs) used as geese. A gaggle of lunar nobility arose from the ship. Lunar nobility leave the ship first. They're all extravagantly dressed and they're all veiled, which is apparently a trend Lavana started. It's her signature headpiece. So prior to Lavana wearing this veil, uh, other lunars just showed their face. Yeah. Even if they were on camera. Well, and I don't think really that, I mean, we're not getting a clear picture of, um, you know, what it was like before um, Lavana, before that became a trend. Um, but, it, you know, who's to say that there was actually reason for the lunar nobility to be on camera before That's now? A good point. There might not have been. I think that, yeah, it's kind of uh, interesting that um, that that's when she, that everybody, I mean, you're going to emulate, you know, um, those that you adore. I'm not going to say yeah. love because um, nobody maybe, um Maybe idolize. <laughs> yes, idolize. Adore, yeah. idolize. Um because you want to be like them in some way, shape, or form. Um, but still, either way, it's it's crazy that all of these people decided that, oh, well, we'll just do it, too, because Queen Lavana. Don't be blind so, sheep. Blind sheep, yeah, good word for it. Good word. He says that he's looking at them, and he can't identify his long-ago peers, so we know that he was a leading scientist. Did that also make him a part of the court? I don't know. I mean, but, there's there's a possibility that it did. I mean, we don't know what um, things were afforded to him because of his leading scientist scientific role. He says he wouldn't be. He probably wouldn't know anyways, though, because. They were all glamours. He himself had always glamoured himself to look taller around the narcissistic court. Which just just shows you that, like, you don't have to be, um, like, that he didn't have, I mean, he may not have changed a lot of his other physical features, but just making himself taller meant that he was you know, under the illusion that he needed to present this certain, um, what is the word that I'm looking for? This certain um, presence presence or um, this certain view of himself. Um, It might also have to do with like confidence, like maybe, it made yeah. him more confident to walk around those people that way as well. I mean, we do know that he is very short. Uh, right. And, and that, um, and, and he, I mean, Cinder is taller than him. And, um, I mean, even just him saying that he glamored himself to make himself a, appear taller is enough of a hint that he's probably pretty short. 
So he's short. So the guards come off. There's five third tier thaumaturges, all handsome, even without their glamour, which is how the queen prefers them. But many of his co-workers on Luna had made lucrative side businesses with plastic surgery, melanin ingestments, and body reconstruction. Well, we already are used to some of that stuff now, but uh, I do like that he points out one of his favorite rumors was that Sybil's cheekbones were made of plumbing pipes. (laughs) Can you just imagine, like... Trying to put plumbing pipes into your cheekbones. No, my like, cheekbones are fine. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I'm just trying to imagine like walking into like a plastic surgery place and just being like, yeah, I'd like you to take these these plumbing pipes and put them in my cheekbones because I always imagine like the giant PVC pipes as well, I think it's plumbing just, pipes, um, and I'm sure they're not they're not that big, but also just like trying to put something like that like into your face (laughs) well I would say here's my thought process we don't we're not given any indication that plastic surgery has evolved a lot in the future but if they can make mutant wolves and androids I can only assume it's evolved quite a bit um but maybe they have to use recycled materials on Luna because they can't bring in like silicone and stuff Right. So it's like melted down. Like it's not a cut up piece of of plumbing. It's recycled plumbing pipes. So they've probably been reshaped. Well, yeah, I just I like just my thought just when you read that, it just like like it's probably incorrect. But just like thinking, you know, walking in somewhere and being like, yeah, can you put this in my face? Just make right? it hilarious. kind of reminds reminds you about like all the crazy things that you hear about the like celebrities do or don't do according to rumors about like all the work that they get done and like how crazy people look after the facts when they looked fine before right so you know but that being said to each his own if if having plastic surgery makes you feel like your best self then there's no judgment for me 100 percent. yeah so amory steps off looking relaxed and smug i'm glad that kai isn't the only one who is like oh this bitch whenever amory shows up (laughs) so that's exactly what kai is thinking Ugh, this bitch (laughs) looking as relaxed and smug as ever in the rich crimson jacket that so well complemented his dark skin he approached the waiting emperor kaito and his convoy of advisors and chairman and they shared a mutually respectful bow poor young emperor kai he had certainly been thrown to the lions during his short reign hadn't he yeah he was just talking about that last chapter doctor (laughs) <laughs> oh wait you're not in Kai's perspective never mind <laughs> right Dr. Erlon says he's wasting time with lunar processions and royal alliances when with any luck none of it would happen anyways if only Lynn Cinder would stop gallivanting about earth and space and start following directions for once Ooh, bossy I just, love that. I just love that like uh, she's just gallivanting doing whatever whatever she wants whenever she wants it she needs to get her booty down to Africa. 
<laughs> just just floating around the earth listening to the new Tay Tay CD, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, into some for- folklore. Right? <laughs> Dr. Erlon goes to the door. There's a 12-year-old boy trying not to look nervous, and he says that he has a camel for sale with two humps. Erlon tilted his head. He had had to be careful about who he told this code language to, but news seemed to be spreading quickly, even into neighboring Oasis towns. It was becoming common knowledge that the crazy old doctor was looking for lunars who would be willing to help him with some experimentation and that he could pay them for their assistance. Well, yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, we all know he's crazy, but what makes other people think he's so crazy? The fact that he wants lunars for experiments and he's going to give them money? I mean... Yeah. Or something. It just says paid. I guess we don't necessarily know if that's. I shouldn't make the assumption that that's monetary. I mean, and and what experimentations are we doing on these people? Right. And the spreading knowledge of his semi-celebrity status, complete with Commonwealth want ads, hadn't hurt. Okay. Well, if you're putting out want ads, you can't be too surprised if your reputation is preceding you. Yeah. <laughs> But many of them are just curious about the lunar who worked at the Eastern Commonwealth Palace and helped Lynn Sender escape. He's been trying to copy the Letimosis antidote, but he needs test subjects. So that's why they need to be lunar, right? Because lunars are immune. So he goes to the closet, which is like this weird mini laboratory set up with all these med supplies. And they're all neatly labeled and organized. And he tells the boy, I can't pay you in units. I can barter only. What do you need? Food, water, clothing, or if you're willing to wait on payment for six consecutive samples, so six samples of blood, I can arrange one-way transportation to Europe, no documentation required. But the little boy doesn't care about that. The little boy says, what about medication? Can you pay with medication? And this startles him because he's like, medication? Why would you need medication? Yeah, but his brother is sick, also a lunar. The boy's eyes widened. They always did when Dr. Erland threw out the words so casually, but he never understood why. He only asked for lunars. Only lunars ever knocked on his door. Stop being so skittish. You must know that I'm lunar too. He did a quick glamour to prove himself, an easy manipulation so that the boy perceived him as a younger version of himself, but only for an instant. So he's back to using his glamour. Right. Uh, so I also do like how next, like after that, it says that, um, like, even though he's been tampering and like playing with his gift a little bit more since he's been in Africa, that his mind simply wasn't as strong as it used to be. I mean, of course not. It's he's getting old. He's old. Of course, his he's mind getting, isn't. Well, he's getting old, but also he hasn't he hasn't done it. So those muscles, he hasn't right. he hasn't been using them. Interesting to hear that from him, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So it turns out that his brother is a shell, which apparently is true value. Tracking down shells had been really difficult because they blended in and had no desire to be found. And like Cinder, they might not even know they were lunars at all. And he says he'll pay double if it's a shell. How old is he? He's seven and he's sick. What's he sick with? The plague. Ba, ba, ba. Yeah. 
Lunars are supposed to be immune. Yeah. Letamosis? No, no, that isn't possible. Tell me his symptoms. We'll figure out what he really has. Yesterday afternoon, he started getting a bad rash with bruises all over his arms, like he'd been in a brawl, except he hadn't. When he woke up this morning, he was hot to the touch, but he kept saying he was freezing, even in this heat. When our mother checked, the skin under his fingernails had gone bluish, just like the plague. Yeah. So he had spots yesterday, and they're already turning. He's already got blue fingers. Blood blisters are a new symptom. He'd never seen the plague like this before. And we already know that the, the your fingers turning blue is like the fourth stage. It's like the fourth and final stage, and then you die. So, like, the blood blisters are new, but the bruises are, like, phase one. So he went, like, straight from, like, bruises to bluish fingers well now you know it's progressing even faster it's progressing even faster and then i think the main one is just that it's affecting lunars right like and and that's what dr erland says in his inner monologue that the disease was mutating right yeah and and i mean he's basically been expecting this but He's not happy about it. Right. It's like an anticipation. It could happen. You know, it could happen. You know, it's even likely. But there's always that moment that that hesitation of hopefulness. Like I said before, hope is a dangerous thing. I mean, I don't know about you, but like just hearing like this experience, like this, you know, uh, situation, even though it's in a fictional context. I mean, it kind of scares the crap out of me. Because it, like, based on the current state of events, there's nothing to say that that can't happen here with COVID. Or any other disease in the future. Right. And just, like, like we've already had so many deaths and cases because of the current strain. And if it mutates, you know, what are, what are we supposed to do then? Right. Dr. Erland then grabs his hat and tells the little boy, take me to him. And that's the end of chapter seven. Because we, of course, we can never end without a cliffhanger. (laughs) Gotta make sure we read that next chapter. Um, No, I think it's really interesting that now there might be lunars that can also get the, the plague. Even how frightening is that for every lunar who thought they were safe? Right. And just to know, like, okay, if it's if it can mutate and lunars are no longer safe, then that just like that that will just make everyone else panic. You know, it will it will spread this fear based pandemic even farther. Yeah, I agree. Because now it's going to reach the moon as well. Right. Yeah. And so that's the end of chapter seven. What was your uh, chapter titles for this one? Um, so my chapter titles were For Good by um, from the musical Wicked. And it's uh, Christian Chenoweth and Athena Mansell. Um, it's actually one of like my favorite songs from that musical. Um, but 
just like that thought of like, he thinks that, or some part of him thinks that everything that he's tried to do has been some part for, for the greater good, for good. Um, and even though it hasn't turned out like he has wanted it to, he doesn't necessarily regret the choices that he's made. Yeah, I agree. And so then the other song um, that is my choice is uh, from actually her latest album, um, which was like her first album that she released in like 12 or 13 years. Um, but it's Mandy Moore. And it's uh, the title of the song is Stories Reminding Myself of Me. Um, and if you haven't listened to her album, you should go listen to it because it's fantastic. (laughs) Um, And it's just this. So the whole um, song basically is her, is her reflecting on all of her uh, choices and her stories from her past um, being in the entertainment industry and being an artist um, and how she started so young. Um. And just kind of reflecting on on those things that have basically brought her to the point where she's at today. Um, and, uh, and the chorus goes, from the phases of the moon to, the sto- uh, to a half-stoned afternoon, stories reminding myself of me, turning a corner so bittersweet, a halo of streetlights from red to green, Um, stories reminding myself of me. So it just kind of like reminds, like it, she's just kind of like reminding herself, like where, where have I been? Where am I going? And, um, just kind of, uh, it's, it's a fantastic song anyways. Um, and that's a, that's a really good album for me and you too, for anyone that wants to go check it out. Yes, it, it, honestly, I I have been a fan of her since um, Candy um, <laughs> in the early 2000s, because who doesn't want some candy? Um, <laughs> but it, it really is. It's a really fantastic album. Um, and um, it's called Silver Landings. And yeah, it's just fantastic. So my first one was how to save a life by the fray because the little brother is so desperate. The poor guy, he just wants to save his brother. He doesn't know what else to do. So he goes to the crazy doctor and he says, can you give me medicine? Can you save my brother? And then the other one is Tay Tay. Soon you'll get better by Taylor Swift. Um, probably the saddest song she's ever written. I've only ever been able to listen to it once because it makes me cry so much, but it's yeah. about lose. It's about losing your person and trying to remind yourself that they have to get better because a world where they aren't a world without them in it is not a possibility that you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And just like, uh, the few times that I have personally been able to listen to it are a ball fest. Um, so, you know, it's a tearjerker. It is. 
I do not recommend listening to it. <laughs> I mean, the lyrics are very powerful and I, I commend yeah. her for sharing it with the world because I do think it helps people. Um, I just have my own personal experiences that I can reflect it to. And that's why it's hard for me to listen to it. Oh, 100% agree. <laughs> so what was your chapter quote? So my quote, again, so proud of myself. It's a short one. <laughs> gold stars. Um, yes, gold stars. All the gold stars for Ruth. Actually, maybe just one gold star now because I did mess up and um, try to <laughs> This is in seventh grade. I don't take away gold stars. You get to keep your oh, gold yes. stars. <laughs> um, so my, chap- uh, my chapter quote was, in fact, he'd always been fond of the rumor that Sybil Mira's cheekbones were made out of recycled plumbing pipes. I do like that rumor. I love that rumor. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great rumor to share with the world. I feel like uh, rumor has it. <laughs> that would yeah that would have been a good one for that just for that line though just for that yeah exactly just for that line <laughs> so mine was page 65 poor young emperor kai he had certainly been thrown to the lions he really has doctor yeah i'm just glad that someone other than Torin is like dude poor kai like i feel you bro <laughs> So that is the end of this week's chapter. It is the end of this episode. There are no bonus words, but there were eight eggs. And next week I will cover chapter eight with a very special guest. So don't forget to show up for that episode. Rate, review, and subscribe, of course, and follow Instagram. And don't forget to check out the Prince Kai Fan Pod Patreon, patreon.com slash Prince Kai Fan Pod. Remember, one of the new perks is that you'll get to be my guest on an episode. But there's also like a whole bunch of other fun perks. Like I just did a bonus episode about the new Taylor Swift CD. So go check it out. Remember, you can join for only a dollar and the first fiscal month is free. Such a kind, kind, kind person. Aw, thank you. (laughs) Ruth, spoiler queen, your majesty, where can everyone find you on social media? So um, on Instagram, I am at spoiler alert queen. Um, I am trying to be consistently posting. It's not 100% working. So just (laughs) hang guys. Going through some stuff. Um, and then on Twitter, I am spoiler underscore queen. Um, and yeah, you can follow me there too. Cause who doesn't want Twitter followers? <laughs> I'm hardly on Twitter right now, but <laughs> I yeah, I don't participate very much on Twitter. I need to do it more. I just don't. <laughs> Thank you as always for coming on an episode. Of course. It's always my pleasure. I love doing this with you. Good. So everybody, please stay safe and keep your hand sanitizer close. And until next time, don't get glamored. Don't get glamored. Bye. Bye. The passages read for you today are from Crest by Marissa Meyer, and the clip you heard was from Princess Diaries 2. This podcast is hosted and produced by Bethany Finger. Today's special guest was spoiler queen Ruth Redmond. The intro-outro music was composed by Emma Pavo, and the logo art was created by Angela Wong. Thank you for listening.